Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and Alan Watt Sentient Sentinel.eu on June the 13th, 2007. And my goodness, how the time is just flying. I was hoping it would slow down for the summer, but it's not. It's going on at the same old speed, which is kind of non-stop. I'm sure a few of you maybe have noticed the regular chemtrails we've had and the new type. The new type is a, a bluish color, almost the same color as the sky, but not quite a different kind of polymer that trails across the sky. And I guess it's a brand new mix, maybe for phase three, four, five, or whatever phase we're in, as we go dumbed down into complete change. I wouldn't be surprised if they are indeed spraying the tranquilizers that Mr. Rumsfeld talked about after 9-11, that they could actually spray over whole cities to stop panic. Maybe they're actually doing it across a good part of the planet. I've mentioned before how nothing in this system which is a complete system with many mini or subsystems making up specialized parts. None of it is here by chance because nothing is allowed to simply spontaneously come out by chance. Huge discussions are held on every area of society every day across the planet. And national committees get together with international committees and plan the future and what kind of future it will be. The public have no input into this. They can't get invited. And that's the reality of having a super government bypassing all supposed democratic institutions as they push this fake democracy worldwide. All science has been funneled by grants from governments and big foundations into specific areas. When there are thousands of areas they could go into, the main ones, as you've probably noticed, are, apart from all the warfare industries, which will go again hand-in-hand with these specific areas. You have the electronic side of things, the miniature circuitry, then nano-circuitry. You have this push towards interfacing human brains with computers for world peace, of course. You have the whole agenda for the next phase of a society which will serve the world state happily. Now, what would make them so happy? Years ago, they talked about either drugging the population, lobotomizing part of the brain, and of course they've come up with the ultimate, which is a brain chip, interfacing the human mind into a virtual, the love of virtue a virtual, not quite real, 
they're good enough for you. Reality. That's where money has gone and into genetic research. Genetic research was on the go a long, long time ago. Surfaced its head around the 1700s, big time with Darwin. And that really was to do with eugenics, as they used to call it back then, the passing in on of dominant or superior genes by special selective breeding and how to validate why those families in power should naturally be in power. They've pushed the grants and the funding in specific areas along the genetic research lines. Only for one phase of society. It's not the, this is not the end of it. It's just one phase that we have to go through before they eventually recreate types of specifically created, purpose-designed, ideal-designed humans for specific tasks. Every time a social norm is broken, a norm simply being that which they allowed before because it suited them, and we complain about it when they change it because we get used to grazing in the same field, when they change a social norm, they always claim it's to help the sick or the disabled. We had that with the initial donor industry. What was the start of it? And once that was underway and became passé and accepted by the public, now they have to get it from live donors. So they've redefined death, not to include brain death, at least cardiac death because they want fresh organs straight out of the body, the donor then the donor is terminated that's how you accept things stage by stage beginning with abortion then the donor industry and it is an industry indeed as we're dehumanized now they're pushing up exactly as they've done in times gone by uh, mental retardation or uh, disablement and ways to enhance them even. Any excuse will do is to help when really they want to eradicate those who are unfit as they see them, people who can't serve the system, the useless eaters as they're called at the top. And that's not just those with disabilities, that's that'll eventually uh, come down the scale to include most people who are simply superfluous in a post-industrialized, post-agricultural, post-technological era. That's why the money has been funneled into specific areas which they knew they were heading for a long time ago. And that is how research is done. Research is research, meaning the higher research was done a long time ago. Stuff that comes out of universities is, is simply being rediscovered again, while higher levels of science within the military-industrial complex had it a long time ago. However, we use the low stuff to introduce the idea to the public to familiarize us with not just the possibilities, but with uh, the inevitabilities of this coming your way. That's how simply we adapt. We don't have to think through a process and come to a conclusion. We're led 
to the conclusion by the news presenters and documentaries. This is one of them I'm about to read from, from Innovation Watch, November the 30th, 2006. As though it's a startling exclamation to the public, but really, as I say, this is a low-down stuff. This is research, research, when the military-industrial complex have done a higher search a long time ago. This begins with, this by Gregor Walbring. They love the walls and, or, and wars and so on. So this guy's bringing you a wall here. Modifying the human body or enhancing our cognitive abilities using technology has been a long-time dream for many people. Now, is it really? So there's a statement. That's again implanting in your mind that that's a goal that you wanted. Nano, bio, info, cogno, synbio, and it's called NBICS, is now reaching a critical stage where it could lead to the fulfillment of that dream. An increasing amount of research tries to link the human brain with machines, allowing humans to control their environment through their thoughts. It is said, ultimately, the technology will be used for people whose spinal cords are destroyed in accidents or those handicapped by strokes. You see, that's, I just want to help people that have a real function in their very efficient economic society, right? That's why they've been spoiling the disabled for all this time. Do you know they were so spoiled? Yeah? Well, neither did I. But uh, you see, this is we know what governments really think and economists think of anyone who's disabled. We know. Because they live at the lowest level, just above the street level. So here they are going all out, spending all this money with the usual con game of helping the disabled. I mean, you can see all the cures they've given us after they went into the genetic research all those years. Now they can create new humans out of it, but we just don't know how to cure anybody with a problem. Hmm? But the same old con is led so that we'll keep snoozing through all of this, thinking it's for, for the good. It's hard to attack mum's apple pie, isn't it? They love charity and so on. Scientists demonstrated in 2002 that human thoughts can be converted into radio waves and used by paralyzed people to create movement. One, scientists in Australia have developed a mind switch that enables people to activate electrical devices, e.g. turn on a radio or open doors by thinking. Old stuff, old, old, old stuff, long before 2002, because Sweden was doing this kind of stuff with prisoners from the 70s onwards. IDIAP Research Institute formerly the Dalmol Institute for Perceptual Artificial Intelligence, that's a mouthful, is developing non-invasive brain-machine interfaces. I guess it's true, it's a good word, that, because inter means to bury in the faces. Once we're all hooked up to these machines, we'll be faceless, basically, just the Borg. 
The Institute states in a recent publication called Brain Activity Recorded Non-Invasively is sufficient to control a mobile robot if advanced robotics is used in combination with a synchronous EEG, that's electroencephalograph, analysis and machine learning techniques. Until now, brain-actuated control has mainly relied on implanted electrodes, since EEG-based systems have been considered too slow for controlling rapid and complex sequences of movements. We show that two human subjects successfully moved a robot between several rooms by mental control only, using an EEG-based machine brain-machine interface that recognized three mental states. Mental control was comparable to manual control on the same task with a performance ratio of 0.74. Now, we know that DARPA also gave a, a similar statement out not long ago about helping a quadriplegic to send emails by thought, and I think it was 74.5% successful, they claimed. Now, DARPA is not in the business of helping the poor and disabled. Look them up and see what their function is. Many researchers are working on brain-machine interfaces, and that's true because they're getting well-funded by all the big foundations and governments. As I say, remember, governments are not in the business of crying about those who are not producing within society. Cyberkinetics, your technology systems incorporated of Foxborough, Massachusetts received FDA approval to test the brain gate. Brain gate. Now remember Stargate, huh? Now you've got brain gate. They love these gates. They just do, they love them. Doors and gates, it's all high Masonic. The company started with people with spinal cord injuries and is now recruiting patients for brain gate ALS trials, according to deal.com. Researchers at Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina, are developing a wireless neuroprosthetic that could potentially be used to control robotic limbs for quadriplegics. Dr. Miguel Nicolilis of the University's Department of Neurobiology has a variety of articles on his webpage. A 14-year-old boy plays Space Invaders using Thoughts Alone as a grid connected to his brain measures his electrocorticographic activity. The device was developed by Dr. Eric C. Luthart, an assistant professor of neurological surgery at the School of Medicine, and Dr. Daniel Moran, assistant professor of biomedical engineering at Washington University in St. Louis. They connected the patient to a sophisticated computer running a special program known as BC-12000. 12000 BC, that's interesting. Developed by collaborator Gerwin Schalk at the Wadsworth Center, New York State Department of Health in Albany, which displays a video game linked to an electrocorticographic, which is called ECOG, grid. The primary purpose of the grid was to facilitate treatment for epilepsy, like, sure... In Austria, the Graz University of Technology has a brain-computer interface lab. In Japan, Hitachi has joined forces with university researchers. In Finland, the proactive computing research program called PROACT 
is funded by the Academy of Finland and led by Academy Professor Mikko Sams. IST has funded the Presencia project under its fifth framework program, Future Emerging Technologies. Presence Research. Presence Research is to do with virtual reality. That's the bottom line. In order to get you into a virtual place where nothing really exists and to have people appear, all computer-generated people around you, they will have to create what seems to be presence. Is how your mind recognizes those and things within close proximity within your environment, so they create presence. Interesting. Which is on BBC One. A Berlin-brained computer interface, a mental typewriter, was unveiled at the 2006 CEBIT in Germany the biggest consumer technology conference worldwide. Devices such as the BBCI are not only seen to benefit disabled people, but could also spread to the entertainment industry, creating a whole new class of video games, so games will get the youngsters in. Or they could be integrated in active car safety systems, for instance, breaking the vehicle in response to the driver's thoughts. Cambridge Consultants Virtual helmet can link brainwave patterns to a virtual reality system, allowing the wearer to enter an illusory world of movement. Researchers at Nippon Telegraph and Telephone Corporation in Japan have developed galvanic vestibular stimulation, a technology that can compel a person to walk along a route in the shape of a giant pretzel. Oh, how fun! In effect, creating remote controlled. Humans. Hmm. Researchers at Columbia University have combined the processing power of the brain with computer vision to develop a novel device that allow people to search through images ten times faster than they can on their own. The cortically com- coupled computer vision system, known as C3 Vision, turns the brain into an automatic image-identifying machine. I thought it already was. The project is funded by the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. The Air Force has long been interested in alternative control technology, you're darn right they are, that will allow its pilots to fly planes hands-free. It's all this riding a bike hands-free, you know. Sure it is. That's really what it is, isn't it? <sighs> this is this is for children, this stuff. This is the PR spin. All of this is just a PR spin for the grown-up children. A robotic hand controlled by the power of thought alone has been demonstrated by researchers in Japan. It mimics the movements of a person's real hand based on real-time functional magnetic resonance imaging of brain activity. This is seen as another landmark in the advance towards prosthetics and computers that can be operated by thought alone. Well, guess what? They're already here. Have been for a long time, in a higher level. The system was developed by Yukiyasu, Kamitani, and colleagues from ATR, Computational Neuroscience Laboratories in Kyoto. <laughs> Kyoto's very famous for this, isn't it? 
and researchers from the Honda Institute, uh, Royal Research Institute in Saitama. Subjects lying inside an MRI scanner were asked to make rock, paper, scissor shapes with their right hand. The scanner recorded brain activity and fed data to a connected computer. After a short training period, the computer was able to recognize the brain activity associated with each shape and commanded the robotic appendage to do the same. The list goes on. A brain activity interpretation contest organized by the University of Pittsburgh provided entrance with functional MRI scanner data and behavioral reports recorded when four people watched two movies. Competitors were asked to create an algorithm that used the brain activity to predict that viewers were thinking and feeling as the film unfolded. Uh, that also goes back years ago when they were trying uh, different things in cinemas, movie houses or theatres with uh, unleashing little packages of synthetic scents and going so far as having vibrating seats that would vibrate when um, volcanoes went off on the screen and bombs went off on the screen and huge speakers etc moving chairs things that would make you think you were actually participating in it that was all part of the earlier experimentation on the same thing for a society that could be controlled through altering and giving fake or phony sensations at least the perception would be phony the, the conclusion you would come to it would fool you. The crunch test came from a third film. Competing researchers were shown the brain activity only and had to predict the behavioral data, what the viewers had reported seeing and feeling during the film on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. The rules are here and the results are here, which you can punch up yourself and look at. Uh, this PR spin will take you all over the place. The competition webpage can be found here too, describes the next year's competition as follows, blah, blah, blah. The 2007 Pittsburgh Brain Activity Interpretation Competition will involve analysis of a new unique fMRI dataset representing dynamic subject-driven behavior in a virtual world. fMRI data will be made available from multiple subjects in a very realistic virtual world of multiple streets and rooms, house, bar, playground, with subject control in the world. Multiple tasks, social interaction, rewards, when well, you have to have rewards, you see, is Pavlovian, and threat avoidance, threat avoidance, very good behavior modification. Additionally, eye movement data will be provided along with overlaid tracking of every object fixated on by subjects in the virtual world. Then it goes on, the choice is yours. Although brain-machine interfaces are often talked about in relation to disabled people, now here's the kicker, we can expect they will also be used by the non-disabled as a means to control their environment, especially if the devices are non-invasive and no implants are needed. To date, there has not been much public discussion of the implications of brain-machine interfaces you're darn right there's not, because we won't get any. And then it goes on to say the amount of public 
research and development funding they receive. No, there's no discussion as to why they get it in this particular area and control distribution and access to these devices. So you can go into all of this, and it goes into bioethics committees, etc., which are just the eugenic societies. It's a nice fuzzy name they have today, but they have the same tasks to lead us into accepting more and more and more. The papers now are full of this, these little quips, which most folk will see on a superficial level because they don't analyze purpose or intent. They are simply downloaded with bits and bytes of data to give them predictive programming. They'll accept it, and actually some will want it, and the young will definitely want it now that it is being inserted, all this kind of stuff, into their favorite heroes and their comic books and cartoons. The one thing they never discuss is, do you realize that power, it gives a small elite at the top who will be in charge of the computers that will be controlling you? You will not be allowed to make your own program here or be in charge of it with its own unique coded language just for you. Someone else is going to do your programming. Now, to continue, here's another little bit of predictive programming from Pratt E-Press, Duke University, September 2002. The Pratt School of Engineering. Interesting, the Pratt family, it was Harold Pratt, was the guy or the family set up to bring in the Royal Institute of International Affairs called the Council on Foreign Relations in the United States. It says here, DARPA, DARPA, remember, to support brain machine research. Durham, North Carolina. Devices including neuroprosthetic limbs for paralyzed, here we go with the yada yada yada, uh, and it put you right at ease, for paralyzed people and neuro-robots controlled by brain signals from human operators could be the ultimate applications of brain-machine interface technologies developed under a $26 million contract to Duke. This is just to one place, remember. Sponsored by the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. The Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, DARPA. So here's DARPA dishing out all this money, your tax money, and this is part of the Defense Department to do with the Americas, actually, the whole of the Americas. It's attached to the NSA, a department, really. And its logo is a great pyramid with an all-seeing eye with a light shining down on the profane people down below. The DARPA support will help launched Duke Center for Neuroengineering, co-directed by Miguel Nicolilis, Professor of Neurobiology, and Craig Henriquez, the W.H. Gardner Junior Associate Professor of Biomedical Engineering. The center's scientists and engineers will seek to pioneer a new technological era in which brain signals could control machines that augment and extend human capabilities in a way never before possible. The Duke Center will consist initially of a collaboration of separate laboratories in the Medical Center's Department of Neurobiology, 
and in the Pratt School of Engineering Department of Biomedical Engineering. However, the researchers expect to unite the centre's efforts in the new multidisciplinary engineering building now under construction. Nicolilis will be principal investigator for the DARPA project. Co-professors are Henriquez, professor of neurosurgery Dennis Turner and Patrick Wolfe, associate professor of biomedical engineering. Other central collaborators include John Chapin of the State University of New York, Brooklyn, Jose, principal of the University of Florida, Mandayam, Srinivasan of Massachusetts Institute of Technology and Harvey Wiggins of Plexon Incorporated in Dartles. The contract is part of DARPA's Brain Machine Interfaces program, which seeks to develop new technologies for augmenting human performance by assessing the br- or accessing the brain in real time and integrating the information into external devices. Besides development of brain-controlled prosthetic limbs, neurosurgeons could apply, could apply like this could, brain mapping enabling, enabled by the new technology to aid surgeons in distinguishing healthy brain tissue from that which is part of a tumour or a focus for epileptic seizures. This is the usual stuff again. This technology can immediately increase the resolution with which surgeons can map the extent of a tumour. Or uh, It's amazing how they always give us the same rubbish, you know, to help people. So let's get past the PR stuff. You can tell they're spending this kind of money because they care about epileptics. We can see that by their past experience, right? Beyond medical uses, brain-machine interfaces also could be applied to enhance the abilities of normal humans. Again, right back to the real, real thing, you see, said the researchers. As examples, he said, neurally controlled robots could enable remote search and rescue operations <laughs> or explosion or exploration of hazardous or inaccessible environments. As part of the DARPA support, biomedical engineer Henriquez and his colleagues will coordinate development of equipment and methods for visualizing and analyzing the massive amounts of data produced from electrode arrays in the brains of experimental animals. Well, that's old stuff. It's all done. Neurosurgeon Turner and his colleagues will investigate potential use of brain-machine interfaces in patients with neurological disorders. That could be widened, remember that term, neurological disorders under psychiatry, under political condemnation and labelling too. Biomedical engineer Patrick Wolfe and his colleagues will develop a miniaturized neurochip for detecting and analyzing brain signals as well as optical communication links between the chip and the control components of the interface. John Chapin's laboratory will develop the sensory feedback mechanism by which animals and humans can feel the actions of a neurorobotic arm or hand. Again, presence. Jose Principi and his colleagues will develop new computer algorithms for translating brain-derived signals into control commands to operate a robot arm. Mandayam Srinivasan's laboratory will develop new interfaces to provide visual and tactile feedback signals to animal subjects, animal operating robot arms. 
And Harvey Wiggins of Plexon Dallas will supply hardware and software that will enable development and testing of brain-machine interfaces. And he goes on and on and on about this kind of stuff. So this is another huge PR thing, but DARPA is leading the charge. DARPA is to do with defense and peace. And you should see the definitions of peace as they keep expanding the definitions to include more and more and more. The European Union has allocated $26 million or more, at least back in 2002 and three, towards the setting up of the future workplace where everyone will work in a virtual reality. The money goes into research and development to help bring this all into being. Scientists are kind of like wolves. They rely on grants and they smell where the blood is and they jump in with both feet wholeheartedly to do their dirty work. Because dirty it will be indeed not only to guide the sheep along into the new sheep pen where you won't know what is real and what isn't. In fact, you will be in a matrix. You will be a body plugged in to an artificial world which will seem real, although fantastic. This is where all the money is going into. Not only the European Union, but but the Americas too have been pumping money into this because a controlled society in one phase, the next phase, will be where the people within the society cannot differentiate between fact, fiction, reality, virtual reality, because their perceptions will be interwoven with a matrix electronic system. You could be sitting or even floating in a tube, just like the Matrix movie. And yet you'd never know. You would never ever know that you're just a battery. And it will be sold as just wonderful. You could live your whole life never knowing where you really, really were never even suspecting that you hadn't moved from an artificial womb. Never knowing. Never knowing what you really look like or what the real world is like. Interesting that a long time ago in the old business plan of the ages it was written that the people would worship the image the image that they had made with their hands. They'd worship it and ask it to be God over them. Imagination comes from image. You'd be living in pure imagination, but not your own. Everything will be programs written by people outside in the real reality. And you will never know. 
the gung-ho type PR quips that we see in science magazines are funded from the top, like the, the Futurist Society. They fund all the PR promos that the public have to snap up and think how wonderful. So like a, an ad with the ultimate pleasure at the end of the rainbow. They never tell you the real intent. And of course, the average person will never ask, why would your governments be putting so much money into creating a fake reality for you to live in? Part of this fake reality is to phase out the computer now that you're used to it, you see. It was a step-by-step program to get you to accept it, become dependent on it, be fascinated by it, and then you'll be wearing your computer, interfacing with a chip at two, of course, with other chips all around your immediate environment. Together, they will be a supercomputer. You won't know where you are. You'll think you will. And this is here already. They have this. They've already had meetings a few years ago on the phasing out into the next phasing in of the wearable or implanted computer which interfaces with other ones. Here's a typical PR blurb from Innovation Watch again. Remember this is the guys who write for this generally belong or directors of the Futurist Society. It's up there with the Club of Rome. Their job in the, innovate, in the Future Society is to give out grants to novelists, movie writers, science fiction, to promote this, to make this kind of thing wantable by the young especially, to fascinate them, and, and also to put out grants to other smaller magazines on the science level to make it, again, desirable for the readers when they read this future that's being brought in, it won't be nothing like the way they tell you here. What they're telling you is only parts of the real agenda and definitely not the real, not the whole agenda. This one is about Crime in the Twilight Zone by Cynthia Mooney, senior analyst, and Arnold Brown, chairman, Weiner, Edrich Brown, Incorporated. Arnold Brown is an AB, but Arnold Brown here is also one of the directors of the Futurist Societies, I believe. It says here, The most frightening aspect of Rod Serling's television series, The Twilight Zone, was the uncertainty within each show of what was real and what was not. The introductory narration to each show presently described what we are in many ways experiencing in the world today as we constantly and seamlessly cross the boundary between the virtual and the real worlds, essentially leading us to operate in another dimension. The boundary between the virtual and the real is melting away, and the two worlds are beginning to merge, and doing so quite seamlessly in some areas, such as crime, as we will discuss later, into a 21st century twilight zone. Discerning the difference between real and virtual will become increasingly difficult. In fact, it may become necessary to abandon the idea that there is any need 
to differentiate between the two. Interesting, eh? No need to be sentient. Is that interesting? Defenseless is a good way of putting it. Technology products are in development that will contribute to our immersion in the new twilight zone. The tangible media group at MIT, by big players MIT, has created the I.O. brush that enables its user to pick up colors, textures and images from the real world in which they are operating and then paint them onto a digital screen. Video game images will eventually be beamed directly to players' retinas. That's old stuff. Enabling them to play their virtual games as they move about in the real world. Graphically tagged content on the internet coupled with the proliferation of wireless intern connected devices with GPS will enable location-based services and deepen everyone's experience of place. As technology columnist John Udell imagines. Uses for and improvements on virtual humans or avatars, interesting term, an avatar, eh? right out of the old occultic handbook, will continue to expand. A production company in England recently mounted a credible virtual performance of Dylan Thomas reading his poetry, despite the fact that there are no surviving motion pictures of the poet. Work is underway to develop a virtual professor with more human qualities so that it will be more effective teacher than the soulless 3D animations that are currently in use for some online instruction. The goal of the scientists working on this project is to create the ideal persona for facilitating learning, albeit one that can be completely controlled. Other new devices don't fully merge the virtual and the real, but they do contribute to a growing comfort level in moving between the two worlds. Cell phones that can take a picture of a barcode on a product in a supermarket, transmit that code to a computer, and then receive back nutritional information, including how much exercise is needed to burn off the calories, are not so much an integration of the real and the virtual, but more of a collaboration. Then you've got about medical devices, blah, blah, monitoring, all, all this stuff that's really old, because NASA scientists have uh, admitted they've been putting this on the astronauts for years and years and years to monitor their heartbeat, blood pressure, and everything else. Old stuff. So they're not working on anything. This is done. This is a PR thing. Plus, they're not out to, for, to save your health. They're out to alter your perceptions, to take over. See, the final battle is the battle for your mind when it is conquered it's game over tata toodaloo gone the internet has become a fully immersive reality a place where the line between virtual and real has been effectively erased cyberspace is currently confined within the boundaries of earth But work is underway to expand the internet into outer space with the interplanet. Interesting. Inter, capital P, and then capital N, 
the net. I love nets. But a net is just a ten backwards, isn't it? On social networking sites such as MySpace, users wander around for hours and carry out their real lives, yet in an environment that transcends time and space. Crimes are now committed in cyberspace that enables criminals to make real money. Well, what is real money? That's whatever they tell you is at the time. The line between virtual and real cash is vanishing. Uh, that has some semblance of truth to it, in the sense that when you were used to at least something in your wallet, albeit a con game, it was paper, and you had to pay out every day, and you saw that little wad getting thinner and thinner, it made you pause to think if that item that you were salivating for was really important. You'd think twice about it. Now that everything, most people use cards for everything, money or it becomes abstract totally. They just tack it on and have impulse buys. Advances in both information technology and biotechnology, along with expanding globalization and political changes, by the right with the, the political changes, I mean, it's just tyranny after tyranny are fostering changes in the types of crimes that are committed, the scope of the crimes, and the methodology used. Infotech has made possible one of the most discussed new crimes of the daily identity theft. Glitches and weak spots in software allow criminals entry into even the most complex and supposedly secure systems. Software developers and IT systems Managers are unable to stay ahead, unable to stay ahead. This is old, old stuff that the public are dished out, antique, obsolete stuff that we buy off the shelves. So don't let them kid you. They can't stay ahead of the sophisticated levels of identity thieves and hackers. Supposedly during the Cold War, they were having little sort of games between the Soviets and the US and Britain as they all tried to hack each other and all this. This is old, old stuff from the 60s but they can't find out ways to stop the little guy, the little crook at the bottom, for a joke. But we've got to believe in all this stuff for security reasons. For example, a new device program for discerning what data has been entered into a computer via simple audio recordings of keyboard clicks is yet another security threat that has arisen. The government's been doing that for ages for the last few years with the new keyboards. They'll be monitoring everything that they were doing. As businesses, governments, and organizations of all types around the world increasingly rely on larger and more complex IT systems, the financial costs and security risks for system failures are tremendous. Globally, an estimated $1 trillion was spent in 2005 on IT software and hardware services. I love IT, IT, IT. It's interesting that Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels had Gulliver on an island at one point where the sophisticated intelligentsia were horses. The barbarians were common people, which he called yahoos. And if we jump into Plato's Republic, the common people there were called its ITs.
As the volume of electronic records on individuals increases, more opportunities will open up for theft. Well, who's doing all the thieving here? It seems to be the governments who want all the data are robbing you of your personal information and your privacy, if anyone cares anymore. The initiative to create a national medical database in the U.S. was just one example of the ways in which information on a country's citizens will be amassed. That's right, for the masses, you're amassed. In the Netherlands, the government has plans to open electronic files on all children at birth that will track them throughout their lives. Isn't it nice to be born free, eh? But once again, if there's no will to say no, if there's no indignation from the people, it's game over for them anyway. Personal information theft will not only take place over the internet, it will also occur in the arena of biotech. As genetic mapping becomes more refined and easier to do, individuals will be at risk of having their genetic identity stolen by those criminals who can decipher it from a dead skin cell or piece of hair that can be easily picked up. Well, the criminals are already doing it because the big boys are patenting they're putting a patent on anything which hasn't been patented before. Think about that. Monsanto and other companies are going through all the seed lists of the world, seeds that have been passed down for countless generations, and simply because the people had never ever deemed it, being normal people, you see, it never dawned on them to patent it. So anything not patented Monsanto's grabbing and putting the patent on it then the guys who actually had it in the first place can't use it anymore without permission and paying a fee same with you and your DNA you're then property but we already know that don't we at least some of us do thieves can also steal genetic identities by breaking into databases that contain DNA profiles alongside personal information. The U.S. Senate is considering a bill that would allow for the collection of DNA from individuals who are arrested, <laughs> sorry, done, or detained, not only from those who are convicted of crimes, as the current law allows. So just being arrested or detained, just being detained and not arrested, is enough for them to grab your DNA. And that's happening everywhere now. Personal data is not the only thing criminals are stealing online. Authorities in Japan recently arrested someone for using software bots to steal virtual possessions in an online game, which were then sold for real money. Real money again, with another illusion. Crime sweatshops have been established in China and in Indonesia where teams send bots on virtual crime sprees. The online world opens up numerous opportunities. After all this grabbing your DNA and everything else, and here we go with the PR. The online world opens up numerous opportunities, including blogs, personal websites, and vlogs. Uh, where'd they get them from? For individuals to post libelous or slanderous comments about individuals and organizations. While liable and slander may be considered minor crimes, 
the fact is they can cause great damage. A growing number of physicians have brought lawsuits against patients who have posted complaints against them in some form on the web. These types of claims bring up serious questions about free speech issues, which the courts will increasingly confront. You know, that's the one other thing you'll find with this. The legal system is a win-win system where lawyers are guaranteed payment one way or another, you know. Win or lose, kind of like doctors. You know, the, the operation was a success, but the patient died, so cough up the money, Hoover's left. It's the same thing with lawyers. Devil's Advocate, the movie with uh, Al Pacino, did a good job on, on the whole idea in the allegorical form of a reality. He says, you know, how do you think the world has been taken over when he's speaking as the devil, you know? He says, it's not by the armies, and so he says, it's been done by lawyers, armies, armies of lawyers. They're churning out armies of lawyers. And for every little problem that's confronted by the system as it goes forward on this one agenda, this it knows exactly where it's been heading, it always has known where it's been heading, nothing is by chance. Lawyers have new whole new areas to go into and take over. A win-win situation. Copyright infringement crimes will continue to increase in scope and definition fostered by technological advances. The recording industry continues to struggle with copyright issues and the movie and publishing industries are facing their own significant crisis. The advent of cell phones that can scan documents and serve as fax machines adds yet another challenge in the area of patent infringement, there's a growing business of buying up patent portfolios and then suing companies for infringement. Well, that's what the patenting team office is for. Uh, the high boys who run the real world here uh, have set up the patenting offices and their whole idea is to steal other people's inventions and then reward the guys that work for them who steal the inventions by making them famous, like Einstein. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is about to publish a storyline patent application for the first time, which basically gives the applicant claim to a fictional storyline. If the patent is granted, it is likely that other applicants will follow suit, which could lead to patent infringement claims in areas not seen before. Globalization has reduced many of the obstacles of international crime, as borders have become more porous and the movement of goods, money and people has become a flood rather than a controlled flow. Global criminal operations are growing their businesses by diversifying, politicizing, gaining social respectability and legitimizing. Well, that's what every famous family and multi-trillionaire family in the planet did. The same, that was the same method. That's how they get up there. Go through their histories and you'll find that. The kidnapping industry, which was once primarily a Latin American speciality, has become gone global. As NGOs and multinational corporations send workers to locales around the world, potential kidnap victims increase in number. Globalization has also led to greater opportunities for corruption and bribe-taking, not to mention money laundering. The World Bank estimates that more than one trillion in bribes change hands annually. Well, they should know, since they certainly hand out big dollops of money to big top bankers as bonuses. 
They, they call it bonuses, not bribes. Bonuses for keeping secrets. Government procurement around the world with more than $4 trillion spent every year has huge corruption problems, which are also exacerbated by globalization issues. This is all a push, of course, to get everything totally monitored for the little guy at the bottom. Demographics plays a significant role in crime, as widely known. For example, crime tends to fall when the proportion of young people within a population declines. So it's young folks a problem, see? That's what they're telling you. As a global population ages, it'll be interesting to see what changes take place in crime statistics. They'll probably be stealing pills to stay alive. Another demographic factor affecting crime is illegal immigration. As economies improve in developing countries and jobs become more plentiful, migration declines. Youth unemployment has dropped by more than half in Mexico since 1995. And so are wages. And it is likely that migration from Mexico to the U.S. may begin to decline. <laughs> Legal immigration can also be a factor in criminal activity, particularly when formerly homogeneous nations become heterogeneous through immigration but do not foster or encourage assimilation. France really experienced the frustration of disaffected immigrant youths who seem to have adopted many of the attitudes of gangster culture. I wonder where they got gangster culture from. Eh? Much music. Mm. What Mark Lilla at the University of Chicago calls the universal culture of the wretched on earth. Yeah, they were given this culture, though. It's all promoted to them from the top. Other countries are likely to face similar dilemmas. Add continuing and possibly increasing terrorism to all this, and societies and businesses will face crime problems far beyond anything seen in recent memory. Well, that's fine. Just put chips in everyone. They'll have no memory. There it's solved, just like that. I did it for free. In the twilight zone of the Internet and wireless communications, where the real and virtual are not easily discerned or clearly defined. Uh, yeah, it's very vague, isn't it? It's called confused. In, in old days, we called it madness. Uh, this virtual world they're bringing in where we can't tell what's real and what's not. They're bringing it in to make us all mad. But we're supposed to be happy and, and, and really laugh with a strange kind of weird kind of laugh, like a horror movie laugh, because, because it's supposed to be the, the new normal. Because people often find themselves in a state of discomfort or disequilibrium. Fear and disorientation can often be components of discomfort, particularly when people are moving about in unfamiliar territory when they're faced with fear or pervasive crime. No organization, business, or individual be untouched by the changes in an expansion of criminal activities. That's true because the criminals who run the world government will be in charge of it all, in charge of us, all of us. Despite the fact that new methods and technologies are continually devised to combat newly emerging crimes, challenges are likely to increase in frequency and intensity. Now, a while ago, a document came out to do with the New World Order coming into view and to do with the substitutes for war. And what they came up with was in, that in a globalized society, if they truly went after the elimination of war, then the people would start disobeying governments because 
we obey governments and we pay governments or, or they take it from us. Depends how you look upon it, whose side you look at it from, to protect us. And without the threat of war, they'd lose power. So they'd have to find substitutes for war. Well, this is what all this PR stuff's about. A never-ending, not just a, a, a weapons race, you see. Now it's, it's turned into a, um, a race against the criminals who'll come up with, with a better way around something through technology. So therefore, the Pentagon and all these guys will get big, big money to find a way to counter that. And it goes back and forth like a tennis ball. That's a part of the substitute for war. Discussed a long time ago, but this is how they're putting over to the public. No organization, business or individual will be untouched by changes in and expansion of criminal activities, despite the fact that new methods and technologies are continually devised to combat newly emerging crimes. Challenges are likely to increase in frequency and intensity. Governments and courts around the world will face cases on privacy that come out of tech and biotech advances that are completely new, so there will be no precedence to to which the courts can refer. The courts will face the same problem and or lack of precedent in assorted copyright and patent infringement cases. And here's your ongoing PR again to do with the need for military and police, etc. Crimes in the US and elsewhere around the world related to illegal immigration may begin to decline as developing countries grow their economies and begin become able to offer greater opportunities to their young people. This may be counterbalanced, however, by a lack of assimilation among legal immigrants and by terrorist organizations stepping up recruiting among the unassimilated. See, they've got it all figured out. Risk management will need to become both more sophisticated and quicker to respond to the consequences of emerging crimes. We've got emerging crimes. There will be increased in business liability as customers, employers and shareholders find themselves victimized by what they perceive to be inadequate protection of personal information. Well, come on. Customers, employers and shareholders find themselves victimized by what they perceive to be inadequate protection of personal information. If you walk into any store today, you'll see the con game when the tellers or or if you're buying a tire at a store they want your name, your address, the whole kit and caboodle before they'll sell you the item. At least they try to they pretend that. And most people just blurt it all out to them, give them whatever they want, without thinking, without caring. That's how bad it is today. They're already conditioned towards it. So anyway, everything is double speak. Everything is a con because the agenda was set long ago, including even this PR stuff that they're now dishing out to us, that was already decided a long time ago too, that this would be dished out at this time. Such is the world in which we live. A world where people will grow up in a programmed reality. It's something that the ancients could only have dreamed about in their wildest hallucinations, where everyone is dominated by a few at the top who will not be living in a fake reality. 
The battle for the mind is an old one. The battle for the mind already in most people and for most people is already over. They believe everything on the news is true. They believe the media has a duty. That's what it's there for. It has a duty to tell you all you must know for survival. They really believe that. As Brzezinski said, the the people will be unable to reason for themselves. They will expect the media to do their reasoning, thinking for them. Step by step by step. From conditioned brainwashing to com- to television. Television was the start of a virtual world of fantasy. Everything you watch programmed by others, that's their job to do it. You're not being entertained. Professionals put the stuff together. Professionals are licensed those who give them the licenses tell them the format and what they can and cannot and must do. Computer becomes a step further, especially with the young, till you have a world of batteries serving a system. Living in wombs fed artificially, never knowing anything but the program what a future how exciting we can see the totalitarian extremes everything is going towards in this present world with governments being completely intrusive on everything every aspect of a person's life every person's life and you think you're going to be given a freedom by the same ruling elite hope springs eternal in some of these people when there is no personal indignation at the intrusiveness of big brother those who are not indignant have already lost the sovereignty of their own minds. I'm sure lots of you listening will know people around you who've gone that way already. You can't make them indignant. They don't care. Socialism a long time ago when it was promoted by the elite for the working people to make the working people believe it was theirs the elite actually said that socialism was perpetual childhood a world of experts big brothers, daddies who will take care of all your big problems you didn't worry your little head your entire life leave it all to big brother and daddy Just go out and play, children, forever until you die. And you wonder why we end up 
in the abattoir. Heavy topics, but then real life is, especially at this stage of this game or agenda. Yet it's the last time to ponder them. Time is short. They say big grants have been given to organizations to create this virtual system where you'll never have to leave the place you lay or you sit for the rest of your life. You'll think you're interacting with people all over the world and meeting them with a, a feeling of presence, as they say. And it's all computer-generated. That's it for tonight from Hamish and myself. It's good night, and may your God, or your gods, go with you. Uh uh-huh.